0: Hello, and welcome to the Salem on the Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. In this new teaching series called I Deserve It, a title package originally published by Life Church, we're going to look at the lives of four individuals who clearly deserve one thing, but the grace of God gives them another. So let's turn now to the final part of this series, I Deserve to be Counted Out. But he counts us in. Well, welcome to uh, this, the final part of this series. I deserve it. Um, I thank you for those of you who've been a part of this. If this is your first time joining us in this series, this is a four part series where we've looked at individuals from Scripture who should have deserved one thing, but when they encountered the grace of God, they received another thing. And so we've been looking at different ones all throughout this time. And, and the story this morning is a little bit different than those in the past uh, because of the figure that we're going to be looking at. If you want to go ahead and jump into scripture with me, I'll spend the last part of our time together in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 is where I'll be, starting in verse... 12. So if you want to turn there, you can go ahead and do that. If you're at home, you can open your uh, phone or, or just open another tab in the computer, you can find it in that way. But 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at this figure, Peter, all morning. And the reason that we've looked at each of these people as we've gone through is, and, and I do this quite often, I believe that as we see individual stories of people in Scripture, that oftentimes our lives can connect with theirs, we can live into those stories. We have similar stories, we have similar backgrounds, we face similar problems as we go through life, and it's helpful to go back and to look at some of the early followers of Christ, to look at some of the early patriarchs and and mothers of our faith, and see the way that our lives connect, to see how much we do really live into uh, each other's lives. And you know, the part that I want to look at this morning in particular is the personal weight of failure. Whenever we fail in life, we always assume that we deserve something on the other side of failure. And so I want to talk about failure for just a little while. You know, you might have let yourself down right you set that goal in your life either a savings goal a weight goal or or you know some other goal in your life to to cut back from work to spend more time with family and you failed right and you feel the weight of that failure whatever it is you had a personal goal you might have had some sort of engagement with another person some sort of agreement that you came across and and you let them down and so you feel the weight of that failure you may have set sort of spiritual goals and you feel like you wanted to be at this place in your journey with god and you didn't make it and so you've been let down in that goal or or you feel the personal failure of it on that way. So you could have let yourself down, you could have let somebody else down, you could have let God down for all that, right? But for whatever reason... You have lived through, we all have probably lived through these moments of failure. All of us experience this at one point in time or another. I mean, I remember a lot of moments of personal failure in my life. I remember when I was a college student, I was a TA, I was working for uh, my former Greek professor, and I was supposed to be grading papers. And I'll never forget the day where I was grading papers, and I decided to grade papers in my lap and kick my legs up on his desk. And I just leaned back and did that. The next thing I know... I am out and he is standing right in front of me. And I'm like, oh, he's like, did you need a little nap, Mr. Burleson? Right? So I immediately feel this failure. I have let him down right in the middle of my job, right in the middle of everything that I'm supposed to be doing. But, and there, there are lots of moments like that in my life where I've let myself down, you know, personal goals. If I've let, you know, I had a goal to lose weight. I remember this in seminary. I, I, I wanted to lose some weight, but it didn't happen. And under the stress of, of seminary, I just gained more and more weight. And I'll never forget the moment where I walked into my bishop's office up there in New Jersey, and we were having a conversation, and he was a straightforward Jamaican fella. And Bishop Arnold looked me square in the eye when I walked in the room. He goes, you're fat, Pastor. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) Like, he just let it out, right? There was nothing to hold back. Like, he squarely looked me in the face and said that. And you can imagine the weight of personal failure that hit me in that moment like i felt it in my gut in that moment but there's really no failure quite like the failure uh that you might run across in parenting i remember it's been a couple years ago now but drew had a thanksgiving feast and we were all invited to it uh, our family and my wife and i were going to go and we had set to go and i did not have good time management that day I let a meeting go over I kept you know kept going in this environment kept working and um, yeah the time came for us to be there and Aaron is like texting and texting and texting and texting and eventually I get in the car and I go and I pick her up and we go but we're like 5-10 minutes late everybody is in there and i'll never forget the moment walking around the corner of that hallway into that room and little drew was sitting there with a tiny little headband on and a single feather bent over and he's like i didn't think you were coming <laughs> you know and i just in that moment felt the weight of failure to the point that i wanted to back out of the room altogether i didn't even want to be there anymore And this is what happens in failure. Whenever we feel it, whenever we can't be counted on in life, sometimes we think we should just be counted out. I should just get out of this altogether. I shouldn't be here. I'm not qualified to be here. And and this is how it works so often in our lives where someone is counting on us or we're counting on ourselves or, or we've placed expectations on our lives. And when we can't meet up to those, when we can't be counted on and be reliable, we just figure in our lives we should be counted out. We should remove ourselves from the situation. We should back, of it, back out of it altogether. If I can't be counted on, I should be counted out. But the bigger problem with this is oftentimes we reverse that equation. If there are things in our lives that are happening like hardships or trials or things that would push us out... We assume that we can't be counted on, right? If I'm being counted out already in some area of life, the equation, if it's flipped, we would assume, well, that must mean that I can't be counted on, that I'm not reliable. And, and so we start to try and figure out what went wrong, where things went wrong. But, but what we see in Scripture over and over again is that the reverse isn't always true, right? Just because you can't be counted on, so you should be counted out, and that's typically kind of true... When you flip that and you experience hardship in your lives, it doesn't automatically mean that there are failures. And we see this throughout Scripture, that hardship does not equal failure. Being counted out does not mean that we couldn't be counted on or that we failed in some way. There's, there's one person in particular that, that you've already looked at his letter or opened his letter. There's one person in particular, Peter who experienced this perhaps more than anybody else. Peter is not a secondary figure in the story. I mean, we've looked at some secondary figures as we've gone throughout this, this survey and this study. He's not one of those. He's a key leader, and, and he's a key follower of Jesus. In fact, if you think back about the way that Jesus arranged his ministry, we talked about the, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount a couple weeks ago. Jesus had 5,000 people around him that day. There's a ton of people who gathered around Jesus and who followed him. But then you narrow it down, and you've got 72 who were even closer, who listened to him and followed his teachings and then were sent out. There's 72. But then closer than that, you've got this other ring, and we, we know them as the 12 disciples, right, or the 12 apostles. They get closer. Well, Peter's a part of that group, but he's a part of a special group within the special group. Right, he's a part of this special three, Peter, James, and John. And when Jesus did all these fantastic things, these sort of private things, Jesus would take these three. So Peter is not a secondary figure in any way. In fact, he's right at the center. And our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, they think that, that not only is Peter in that center three, they think he was number one of the three, right? He's the first pope of the Catholic Church. Like that, That's how central Peter is to the life of faith. And when it comes to important figures, Peter is right up there. He's right in there. But here's what you and I often assume about important or prominent figures throughout Scripture is that they can always be relied on. They can always be counted on. We, we sort of place these important figures in our lives up on a pedestal. And what Peter reminds us of over and over again is that even in the context of leadership and of solid leadership, there are moments where he didn't say the right thing. There are moments, lots of moments, where he didn't do the right thing. There are moments in his life that he would be ashamed of, and if you know anything about Peter, he did this over and over and over again. It was a pattern of behavior for him in his life. He was argumentative. He was a know-it-all who butted heads with Jesus from time to time, more times than he would like to admit. He missed out on key opportunities in his life because of his lack of faith, and ultimately, when it really became important, Peter denied Jesus in front of other people. Not just one time, but three times back to back, Peter would stand in denial. And so he had this pattern of behavior. In fact, Luke tells us that the very first time that Jesus and Peter met, Jesus or Peter got a little bit snarky with Jesus, right? Peter or Jesus comes up to Peter and says, hey, cast your net on the other side. And Peter says, hey, why don't you leave the fishing to us fishermen, right? Know your role, and so he he backs he pushes back against him in that moment. Now eventually he does and they catch a bunch of fish and Jesus decides to carry him along and Peter's like, "Maybe I should listen to this fellow." Right? But the very first meeting they have, Jesus is or Peter is argumentative in this moment. And Luke's not the only one. Matthew tells us a whole litany of things that Peter did wrong. Matthew chapter 14, Peter walks on water, but his faith is weak and so he sinks. All right, he gets a little bold, but he falls down. Matthew chapter 7 or 16, Peter tells Jesus, Oh, you're the son of God. No one else in the group could tell him that. And then just shortly after that, Peter again gets mouthy with Jesus. He's argumentative with Jesus. He pushes back against Jesus and Jesus calls him Satan. They have this great relationship that just, just go back and forth on. And then just one chapter later after that, Peter gets taken on top of the mountain to see Jesus transfigured in this beautiful moment. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. He's transfigured in front of their eyes. And Peter starts to talk again. And you're like, you know, I'm sure James and John, who were also there, are like, Peter, just shut up. (laughs) Like, please, just be quiet. We just figured this out yesterday. But no, he keeps going. He keeps going. He's like, we should build a, a, a bunch of tents up here. We should just stay here forever. Forget about everybody else. It doesn't matter. And at this moment, this is, the, this is the best part, God starts speaking, right? Matthew chapter f- uh, 17, uh, God starts speaking. He says, while he, Peter, was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud this voice said, this is my beloved son, with him I'm well pleased. And then it doesn't say it in the text, but I sort of get this image. Why don't you listen to him, Peter? Just be quiet and listen for a minute, right? Peter's speaking in this moment. Just listen to Jesus, after all. And of course, you know, all these moments lead to that final moment where Peter is standing outside of Jesus' trial. And time and time again, he's asked if he is one of the followers of Jesus. And every single time, he denies. No. No. Now, we don't know why. We're not sure what was going on in his life, why he couldn't be counted on in that moment, but... Apparently there was some internal pressure in his life where he's like, I don't wanna be counted as one of his disciples, I don't want you to know this. And so he would deny it and deny it and deny it. And Luke tells us that after the third person, the third and final person asked the question of whether or not Peter was connected with him, Luke chapter 22 verse 60 says, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. In anger, he says. And it's at that moment, just as he was speaking, that the rooster crowed. And this rooster crowing was like a trigger inside of Peter's mind. And at that moment, the next verse says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. They locked eyes. Right at Jesus in the, middle of the, in, the, in the middle of his trial. Jesus hears the rooster. Peter hears the rooster. And they both lock eyes with one another because they realize, in this moment, Peter has been counted out. He couldn't be counted on at all. And it's at that moment Peter goes on it says, The Lord looked or, turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. Peter knew he couldn't be counted on. Yes, he had let Jesus down on multiple other occasions. Yes, he was mouthy. He was doubtful. He was all of these things. Yes, he had let his temper get the best of him. But this time was different because in this moment, Jesus was counting on him. Jesus needed to count on Peter in this moment, right? And Peter wasn't there once again. And Luke tells us that on this occasion, Luke chapter 22, verse 62, here's what Peter did. It says that he, Peter, went outside and wept bitterly. He fled because he knew in that moment that Jesus needed him to be there, right? It could have been that he would speak out against the execution he could have you know probably not stop the execution but Peter could have used his voice in front of the Sanhedrin that day he could have and if he didn't do that at least Peter could be amongst the ones who were standing next to Jesus's family like John was standing next to his family at the foot of the cross Jesus was counting on Peter in that moment and Peter in that moment failed Jesus he couldn't be counted on so he counted himself out he walked out of that place he ran away from that place And Peter approached life in the same way that so many of us do. If we can't be counted on, we think we should be counted out. We think we should just walk out the door and never come back. If we can't get it together on the job, well, maybe I should find another job. If If I can't be there to support my friends and my family, then maybe I don't deserve my friends and my family. If I can't control my temper or my passions, then maybe I deserve to be ostracized in life. Maybe I deserve to be alone in life. If I can't be counted on, then probably what should happen is you should just count me out. I shouldn't be there. And I shouldn't be about what's happening. I deserve this. I deserve to be counted out. I deserve exactly what's coming to me. I deserve to be estranged or abandoned or to be left behind. I deserve every bit of struggle that I have in life because you can't count on me to be there. And so I deserve this. I deserve to be counted out in this way. And this this may be part of your story. This may be where you struggle today. It might be exactly why you accept certain hardships in your life, certain trials that come into your life. You just accept them because you know that in your life, you've not been able to be reliable or counted on in certain things. And this was certainly what was happening to Peter here. This is the weight that Peter felt in this moment. He couldn't be counted on, and so he counted himself out. And on the other side of the crucifixion, he wasn't at the center of all the action. Peter didn't come back right into the center of the group and remain a part of the group, but rather Peter went back to what Peter does best, fish. And he went back onto the seashore and he stood out there on the sh- seashore and instead of becoming a fisher of people, he went back to fishing for fish and being argumentative with anybody who came around and tried to convince him otherwise, like he knew what he was doing there and he, so he stood there. But in this very moment where Peter had been counted out and felt like he deserved to be counted out, this is the moment where Peter, Jesus shows up. This is the moment in this space where Jesus comes back and Jesus brings him back in. And at the end of John's gospel, that's exactly what we see happening where he's fishing by the seashore, he's out there doing what he always has done. And in that moment, Jesus shows up on the sea already having caught the fish, cooking breakfast, and sitting down waiting on him. And in this moment when Peter and Jesus lock eyes once more, Peter doesn't run away, but Peter runs to the shore. He jumps out of the boat, he walks through the water, and he makes his way to shore. And in that space, he's counted in. In that space, Jesus goes back and forth. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Once again, he restores him back into this place of wholeness and leadership. And even though he should have been counted out, because he could not be counted on, Jesus counts him in, and doesn't just count him in as like a general follower, but tells him in this space, take care of my people, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, watch over the people, you're the one who's going to lead them, Peter. He had ten other disciples that he could have chosen from, one of them, John, who stayed by his side the whole time, and yet Jesus chooses in this moment to go with the person who should have been counted out. Jesus in this moment goes back to Peter, asks him these questions, and gives him the commission to go forth, And to lead the people. He was counted in. And in that moment. Jesus did something to Peter. That would shift the way that Peter saw the world. And the way that Peter would want you and I to see the world. It changed everything about his perspective. On how things work in the world. And how hardship works in the world. As he rushed over to that shore. And years later. After Peter's endured all kinds of hardship. And trial and struggle and failure. And all of these things. Years later Peter. Is sitting down. And he starts as an old church boy to write down a letter to the rest of the church. And Peter knows what's happening in the world when he writes this letter. He's aware that Christians around the world are facing hardships. And this isn't, at at this time, we don't have any record that Christians were being martyred in front of great stadiums. That comes later. They do do go before the lions and the bears and the gladiators and all that stuff. And and that happens. But at this point in time, the hardship that comes is like just a gentle drop of water over, over, over over and over and over wearing them down right? first the Roman government raises their taxes and doesn't raise anyone else's next the Roman government locks them out of certain jobs and doesn't lock everybody else they start feeling all this civic pressure around their obedience to Christ where they just had this pressure building and building and building and building and many of them are under the conviction that maybe their faith isn't strong enough and this is why they're facing all of this hardship Maybe their faith isn't good enough, and so they're facing hardship, and they're at that point where the more and more they struggle and they feel like the world is counting them out, they're starting to say to themselves, well, maybe maybe I shouldn't be counted in. Maybe I shouldn't be a part of this. Maybe, Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with my faith, and in this moment, Peter sits down to write them this letter. In this world, Peter begins to speak. In fact, he he addresses them in a very specific way. In First Peter chapter one verse one, he says to God's elect exiles, All right? He calls them exiles in this place. These are people who've been disoriented in the world that they live in. They've been counted out of their home place. They shouldn't be here. This isn't their world. It's not where they should. But Peter addresses them this way. He says, "You're the exiles." You're the ones who are living in a land that's not your land. You feel like you are outsiders in this space, and I get that. But let me talk to you for just a few minutes. And then he goes on, and he talks to them a little bit about what's happening. Now, he, he talks to them about trials throughout the whole thing, but he really ties this point together at the end. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, and listen to what he says here as he's finishing the letter. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though there's something strange that were happening to you. You see, in this moment, Peter's offering a direct criticism to what you and I would believe. That any we face trials in life, there's something wrong with me. When bad things happen, we automatically try to find the source of what went wrong. Is it me? Is it my kids? Is it my spouse? Is it my, my social network? Is it the world that I'm living in? Is it the system that I'm under? What, what is it? Right? Whenever trials come, Peter addresses the reality that you and I start looking for the source to pin it on someone, to find out what's going on. But in this, he says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you as if it was strange, as if something happened that was wrong. No, don't look at it that way. Instead, he says in verse 13, rejoice. Can you say that with me this morning? Rejoice. I want you to rejoice. And you're like, Peter, that's the most ridiculous advice I've ever heard anybody say. Nobody's going to rejoice in the context of suffering. No, he says, you need to rejoice. And of course, he's not the only one. James, the brother of Jesus, would say the same thing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you in faith face trials of many types. Peter says here, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If someone insults you because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. You're a blessed person if you receive those insults. Peter... You've lost your mind. There's nothing about this that feels like a blessing. No, 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 no. You're blessed. When someone insults you because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, now now he gets back to the way that that, that this happens in the world. If you suffer, it should be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, even as a meddler, But I know that's not why you're suffering. I know that's not the suffering you're under. He goes on to say, don't, don't mistakenly connect your Christian behavior with the reason why you're suffering. He says, if you suffer as they are because of their Christianity, don't be ashamed. But praise God. Praise God that you bear that name because when you suffer, God has not counted you out. Trials, sufferings, hardship, persecution. It's a strange gift that is given to us. Because in the context of that gift, it starts to burn off all the false hope that's around us. It starts to preserve the core of our faith, the essentials of our faith. In fact, you can think of this over the past couple or 18 months that we've experienced in life. The trials and sufferings of COVID started to clarify what's really important to us as a society. It burned some of that chaff off and it clarified for us what we really should be doing in our life where we really should spend our time, where we really should invest our finances, it it clarified all those things for us. Yes, it raised division, but it started to narrow our focus. And when we couldn't do all the many things that we did, it clarified. And trials have this funny way of burning off all of the garbage that's in our lives and bringing out the core of our faith. That's why Peter would start the letter off in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7. And he would say, "These, meaning trials, have come so that the proof, so that they proven genuineness of your faith, a faith that is greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though he says, refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is risen." see, trials and suffering and all of these things are like a purifying fire that come into our life to clarify the most important things that you will face. And some of you are facing trials like this right now. Some of you are facing and living into the hardship of life. You didn't ask for it. You didn't seek it out. And for the life of you, you can't figure out why it's there. But it's human, human behavior to try and find it. It's human behavior to try and look for the source to find out who should be blamed. Who's the one who did this to me? Who's the one who hurt me? Is it me? Is it someone else? Is it my community? Is it a a structure in society? Who's the one to blame for the hardship that I'm facing? Peter wants us to stop looking for the blame and start looking for the way that God is using these moments to change your life. It's a moment where we need to stop looking for where things went wrong and start observing all the things that are going right. The failure, the trials, the hardships, all of those things, they just sort of burn away the non-essential elements of your life and in my life and they start to reveal to us what really is most important. You know, I said at the beginning, I've got many of these moments of personal failure that I could talk on and on about, but there's one that I remember because it was a turning point in my life to confirm for me the call that I'm living into today. I was a student at seminary up in New Jersey, and I, at that time, was, you know, a student pastor at one of the local churches, and so because of that, I had to preach a few times a year, and it was the winter, and it was the winter in New Jersey, and my brother had just come and visited me, and I was taking him home on a Sunday morning, early, early Sunday morning. He had to, I had to be there at the Philadelphia airport at like five o'clock, so I knew if I had to be there in Philly at five, then I could make it back up within three hours for our church service. Until snow happened. (laughs) And so I made it all the way down there. In fact, we left a little bit early because I was trying to anticipate the snow and I got down, dropped him off and I turned back around and as soon as I could and I saw the snow coming down, I called the pastor, the the lead pastor at the church I was serving at and I'm like, I'm trying to get there as soon as possible. I just wanted to give you a heads up. Like, there's snow here in Philly. I don't know what's happening. It's crazy. He's like, it's okay. Come on, come on when you can. And as I pursued and as I kept going, the snow kept falling and I kept going slower, right? And slower and slower. And soon there was no way I was going to make it by that eight o'clock service. And I felt, as a student in that moment, the weight of personal failure. What's going to happen? Who's going to preach? There is no one there. And I got there and I got there probably about halfway through the service that morning. And as I sat down in the back of the sanctuary, I looked up on the pulpit and the pastor was preaching he preached, he preached his heart out, he preached like he had been working on that sermon all week long, he just goes on and on and on, and i just just in my head like, how in the world could I let this happen, you know? I knew I could work it out, I knew I could be there, and at the end of the service, I was like, well, that was a great sermon, I mean, I guess you're ready to do it in the next service, oh no, no, I'm not doing that, I pulled that out of the drawer, I, that, that was like a seven-year-old sermon, I don't know, I pulled it out before I came in are you ready to preach? (laughs) No, I'm not ready to preach. See, I had done this thing where because I couldn't be counted on, I'd already counted myself out. In fact, I just wanted to walk back out of the church that day. I just wanted to be gone. He said, no, no, no. You're going to preach. You're going to preach this morning. You're going to preach like nothing ever happened. You're going to be in here and you're going to bring the word to the people and you're going to see God do what God does. And he called me to something different. He called me to a higher place of reality in that moment. And years later, when I still struggled with whether or not I should be counted in or whether or not I should pursue this path, I still remember the grace that he showed to me in that moment. a grace that not only ended, you know, just ended that day or started that day, but it kept going. When I would start to think about other things that I could do in life or other moments where I'd be like, I don't know if I should pass or not. I think maybe I should go this different route or I should pursue this. No, why? These gifts are here. Why would you do that? He kept calling me in even though I was trying to count myself out. There are moments, and you probably have those moments, where people have encouraged you and pushed you along and kept you going when you thought you should be counted out. They pull you back in. And this is the grace of God that works in all of us. A grace that continues to count us in even when we count ourselves out. And this morning, as we close, I want to create a space again where we can pray. Justin's going to sing one final song. And if you feel led to leave, you were dismissed as we sing this song. That's fine. Feel free to do that. But I don't want you to rush all that quickly. And we need to take a moment just to be in silent prayer and reflection right where you are, to create an altar right where you are. And no matter what hardships might come your way, this day or any day, hardships where you might naturally count yourself out, I want you to think about the way that God is calling you back in and allow God's Spirit to call you back into a place of transformation once more. Would you stand and pray with me this morning? God, we thank you so much for your goodness, your mercy, that is truly new to us every single day. A mercy that's hard for me to understand, to fathom, one that I can't often offer, but one that you offer to us all the time. Gracious God, this morning I know that in this space and online, wherever people are watching, whenever they're watching, we are faced with many difficult trials, challenges. We're living under the lie that we should be counted out because of those. And this morning, God, I just ask that you would break that lie in our heart. You'd help us see the way that you have called us forward, even in the midst of trials. And start seeing the way that our trials, God, are being used in our lives like refining fire. that will burn away all the chaff and all the unnecessary stuff and leave us with a core that is solid, life-giving, and full of hope. Father, we thank you for it.